Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. All right, we're not here again this week. <laughs> I lied to you again. I'm just joking. We're actually here this time. And we've read the entire Mueller report from cover to cover, even the redacted parts. So we're gonna be your best resource. It took us a few days, but we're, us. we're good. <laughs> oh boy, we leave and things just happen. Yep. I feel like every time we go on any kind of hiatus, even if it's for a couple days, yep. something major happens. All right, we're never leaving you guys again because we physically can't keep up with everything. Um, Hi guys, welcome back. Barstool Politics, I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi guys. Hey Nick. Howdy. Hi. Uh, before we get started, uh, all of the fun stuff that you're used to, if you guys like the podcast, have questions, uh, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, want to see what we're up to, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics. Uh, the podcast itself, um, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, review us, share us, like us through there. Um, and then for new and returning listeners, uh, we are, of course, partnered with uh, Predicted, which is a real money political prediction market. Um, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, lots of fun, especially like we talked about last week with the, the Democratic primary, um, seeing who's ahead, who's favored, uh, and seeing where people are, are kind of putting their money on, on specific events and candidates. Um, definitely informative. Um, definitely a lot of fun, especially if you're good at it and can make money, which I clearly am not. These guys are a little bit better at it. I, it's, it's been interesting to see. There's a number. We talked a bit about this last week. There's a number of Democratic candidates that seem undervalued, you know, hitting mm -hmm. that 4 to 5% range. Yeah. It feels like those would be great. I mean, we were talking to Elizabeth Warren. She still is really low, and I think her odds are dramatically higher than the predicted market is right now. It's it's interesting right. to watch those things shift. Yeah, yeah, it'll be yeah, like you said, it'll be interesting as time goes on and we get closer to uh, to the election. <clears throat> but what's great for you guys on the other end of the microphone, not you guys in the room, the other people <laughs> on the other end of the speakers. You're on the other end of speakers. Um, Barcelona Politics listeners who use the uh, promo link uh, when opening up, opening up a new account will receive up to a twenty dollar match in their first deposit. Um, so, for example, if you open up a $20 account, Predicted will match the $20, giving you $40 to use. Uh, like I said, just use the promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, um, and check it out. Like I said, it's a lot of fun and, and really informative. So, thank you, Predicted. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of Mueller stuff. It's, just it's all, all Mueller stuff. All the time. As much as I'm, I'm dreading going over every single aspect of this, it's... Again, like it's so important. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's just dive in and try and get in as much as we can before I vomit. So we're going to do the big discussion on Mueller, and then we're going to do a speed round on Mueller subtopics, <laughs> right? Because it's just there's too much. <laughs> All right, so Special Counsel Robert Mueller's report on Russian interference in the 2016 election has finally been released. The report is a whopping 448 pages and divided into two volumes. Three pages after all the redacted <laughs> that's stuff. Right. So it's a quick read. I mean, volumes. You know that's something when you've got different volumes. So volume one deals with the investigation into collusion, or more accurately, conspiracy, between Russia and the Trump campaign during the 2016, uh, 2016 presidential election. Volume two addresses whether President Donald Trump obstructed justice while in office. Just prior to its release... Attorney General Bill Barr gave a preemptive press conference where he offered a fairly rigorous defense of Trump, emphasizing that Trump was cleared of collusion and obstruction of justice. The report itself is much more damning, and while the special counsel did not bring any charges on obstruction of justice, he also refused to exonerate Trump. Nevertheless, Trump responded to the release of the report by declaring total and complete vindication. Uh, <laughs> and a lot more. Uh, we're going to break it all down for you, Phil. After having a few days to digest it all, what would your headline for the Mueller report be? Um, I, I, I've, I've been thinking about how, how far I want to go in terms of my headline. I mean, I think the headline would be in some way... Uh, I mean, the takeaway is that I think the report is almost the opposite of what Bill Barr says. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the takeaway that I get after reading this is that there was extensive this is, I'm going to I'm going to say this and then I'm going to come back and clarify <laughs> extensive um, collusion and obstruction of justice. Um, and, and that's, you know, a different story than the Trump administration has been putting out there. And now here's here's why I want to here's the sort of takeaway part that I want to the explanation that I want to put out there. Um, the part that I, I mean, the legal logic that Mueller uses in this report is really fascinating. So in, in both of those, right, the the uh, so why I say was there extensive um, collusion? Collusion is not a legal term, right? So so the idea of what Mueller was looking for conspiracy and he did not find criminal conspiracy to have occurred. The standard that he uses is a really high standard, which is essentially that if for you and I, for the three of us to commit criminal um, conspiracy, we have to essentially explicitly agree to break the law together. And so that never happened. Right. Trump and or as far as uh, Mueller could find Trump or people around Trump never explicitly agreed to break the law with you know with russian agents or whatever or there was they couldn't find evidence to support that right it's possible that that happened and we never figured it out but yeah Mueller never found anything well and Mueller even points to the fact that uh, uh, the to get to the second part the obstruction part of things might mean that some of this occurred and he just couldn't get at the the evidence that that was there what he did find when i say that there was collusion is his statement i mean the first statement out of the gates is a is a very strong statement that there was um, I wish I had the quote in front of me. You, I don't know if you have it. Or it's something about uh, that uh, that there was a systemic campaign on be- that, that Russia engaged in to undermine the election on behalf of Trump, and that Trump and people or the people within the Trump campaign, at least. I don't know if he said he doesn't say Trump specifically. People within the Trump campaign welcomed that involvement. So essentially, that you know what they're finding is Russia helped the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign was glad to have that help, but there was never the explicit, hey, let's break the law together that rose to the standard of criminal conspiracy. So Mm -hmm. the story, that's where I come back around to 
you know, the story is they're saying no collusion. And I think there was extensive collusion. That's not a crime. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. But there was extensive, extensive, essentially cooperation between between the two sides. Um, the interesting part was, you know, even like Donald Trump Jr., there, there's times where essentially that uh, they're kind of well, they're not kind of essentially they're breaking the law. They just don't realize they're doing it. Right. And so um, that means it's not criminal. The part that's even more straightforward to me, and then I'll shut up and let you, you guys talk, um, is the obstruction part, where, mm -hmm. where Mueller goes through and outlines... Wait, they looked into 12? 10, 10 to 12, 12, depending on how you count them, yeah. Different instances of, of potential obstruction, and they found that the legal... Uh, requirements like what what would it would take for legally to to say that obstruction of justice occurred was met in seven of them something like that um, yeah. there were three criteria they looked at and those three criteria were met in the majority of these instances this is the logic that I find interesting which was essentially he he basically said that the Department of Justice instructions that say a sitting president can't be um, indicted meant that he wasn't going to recommend charges partly i mean my impression is is that essentially the logic was uh if he were to do this if he were to say trump violated the law because trump can't be indicted there can't be a trial and so trump doesn't have his day in court which is which means he can't have access to his constitutional rights and so therefore he's not going to go down that road he's not going to say he committed these or, or accuse him of committing these crimes when Trump wouldn't have the legal opportunity to defend himself, um, which is why in the end he basically leaves it up to Congress. But that, again, doesn't I, I mean, I think the message is any other person. Right. If this were if Trump were anyone other than in, in any position other than president, he would be facing charges for obstruction of justice. Yeah, mm. it's, it's a lot. I, I, I found the quote. So. This is, I think it is, you're right, it was early on, and it says from the Mueller report, although the investigation established that, a Rus that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and work to secure that outcome, and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from that stolen and from that information stolen and released through the Russian efforts, the inv investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its elections interference activities. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is. It, yep. You're right. There's a lot of nuance there. And that's the quote that is the famous quote. The very yes. end of that sentence is the one that Barr originally quoted. And exactly. It's very so, different in its full than in that quote. That is absolutely right. Yeah. But he had the words in there. Like they're off the hook. <laughs> I don't understand. Right. I don't understand what you mean. I, I mean, that is interesting. It's something that we talked about since this all started. It's this willful, willful ignorance and, and just um, ineptitude on on the part of pretty much everyone, every major player in the in the current administration at the time, the Trump campaign. Um, and I, it, like it's he 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 separated that fairly well, I thought. Um, and his his logic is is sound like I don't necessarily disagree with any of his particular points. Um, even in the sense of talking about um, obstruction of justice and and how that should be handled, I think if he if he had gone forward with trying to indict a sitting president, um, going against the set standard of the Justice Department, that would have been a whole. I mean, that's a major institutional crisis that we would have been fighting for a decade, I'm sure. Um, and then realistically. Again, we're talking about the strength of institutions. This, I think he was right to throw it back on Congress at this point. This should realistically be, in, in a major way, their responsibility to handle something like this so it doesn't happen again. I think this is a positive because, again, it's showing the flaws in the system that they should be able to fix, but they're not going to fix. 
Yeah, it is. There's so got so much to break down here. Uh, you know, just just at a, as a, at a holistic level, when you read, and I encourage our listeners to actually read parts of it, mm-hmm. especially the obstruction of justice. It is not overly legalistic. It's something that's very accessible. It is it is oftentimes just telling a story of what happened. It's very reasoned. There are a number area of areas in the report where they come out and say there is no evidence. Uh, they exonerate Trump. You right, know, yeah. uh, some of the Kislyak stuff, where Kislyak was meeting with Sessions and others, yep. very clearly, they Sessions, yeah, yeah, to say this there was nothing that happened there. Um, they also weigh the evidence. I mean, it's very, it's measured, it's thoughtful. Um, you know, it's one of those things where so many events have happened that we lose perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, this really provides a definitive account of what happened, where mm-hmm. you can look at it. Everything is sourced. You can see where he's pulling this account or that account. And it, it does feel to me like this is an answer. Um, I don't get the sense that in the press, and certainly not in the Trump administration, that we're getting an accurate portrayal no. of it. Uh, but history will, will judge this document well. I, I well, That's the thing. It's History is still being written on this. Yeah. But regardless, history was starting to be written less than 12 hours after the, uh, yes. after the report came out. <laughs> I, like, I heard about it, and there were already six stories immediately after the, the press release saying that it was out. Like, how, how do you think that's okay? Regardless of what media outlet you're attached to, that's not okay. There's no way you could have digested that. You're live tweeting it. Right. But then you're angering the population on both sides of the political spectrum, and they already have, have an opinion on it. When realistically, the report itself is very thorough and informed and even-headed, uh, even-keeled, but nobody knows that. We just have the the headlines and it's still to this day nothing has changed on either side which is kind of sad because you think about Mueller really did his job he provided an account to say this is what happened and this is this is what we should base our determinations on and that's not happening right um, and it, that I don't know that's frustrating for me mm-hmm. um, if we think about this, so the, to go back to Phil's point about the conspiracy. Trump, I'm sorry, uh, Mueller doesn't find conspiracy, this idea that they were collaborating together, but he does suggest that they're working on parallel tracks toward the same goal. Right. Yep. And the sheer number of indiv- the number of conversations and interactions that took place, it was clear that Mueller was not really pleased with that. I mean, he, he was pointing out that this, this is problematic. Uh, and also that th- how receptive the Trump administration was to these efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, one response to the fact that the Russians are trying to help you or reach out to you or contact you is to say, hey, I'm going to call the FBI and expose you for what you're doing. And there was never an effort by the Trump administration to do that. So even if there's not conspiracy, there's a lot of lack of moral judgment here. So even if they avoid the legal penalties, uh, morally, I think they're in, in, in just hot water there. I, yeah. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah, I mean, I can't help but think. I mean, a couple of things that you were talking about how you know, thorough Mueller is and sort of walking through all of this. Um, one one aspect I think is that we, <laughs> well, we knew a, we knew most of this yeah. before mm-hmm. this came out, right? This and that is, um, I think, there's <clears throat> two points that I want to make about that. One of which is the reporting that we've had for the last year and a half has has not always been perfectly accurate but it's been pretty damn accurate right so the the reports that have come out like the stories that we've heard about these issues largely lined up with what uh what Mueller reports in this um in the in the, in the Mueller report the other part of it is that i mean that is both good I, that is good but the, the the flip side of that is um i think because we've known this and we've talked about you know 
living, you know, getting used to prison life, right? This is, uh, um, I, I feel like if you didn't know the story, if you hadn't witnessed the last two years of Trump world, right? And someone came in and gave you this report, and this was the first time you had seen all of this stuff, it would have been overwhelming, right? It would have been shocking, right? Not in the criminal, right? I think that's part where we've, we have built ourselves up to there's going to be, you know, there's this, this, again, smoking gun criminal thing. If you read this as a story, as a narrative of the Trump administration and how they came to office and what they've been, done since being in office, it's really damning in a, in a like, that this is not, that we should not be okay with this happening. Whether or not it's criminal, yeah. right? It's a statement more about the office of the presidency and how it should be run and whether we should be concerned about these sorts of, of connections. And I don't know, I think if you read it that way, that it, it you there's a there's sort of a different approach to it there. I think that's mm -hmm. a really, really important point, especially when you think about it, we we rip on the media a lot and, and the talking head stuff, we're not talking about that, but the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, I mean those big print media ones that broke many of the stories that Trump then turned around and called fake news, Mueller finds that in uh, most of the cases, all of the major ones, they were right, that what they were finding was in fact truthful. It was uh, corroborated in the Mueller report as what happened, oftentimes by the very individuals, we'll talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders later, who denied some of those stories. Right. I mean, I think this is a good day for some of the more prominent media outlets. Now, I mean, you know, Fox and MSNBC, you know, they're, you know, that's not what they're doing. But for those outlets, it's, yeah, they were right. Uh, and that's important. And the other element to, to kind of feed off that is for a long time, the Trump administration and Trump in particular was denying that Russia was even intervening or had intervened in the election. This puts that to death, right? To say, no, they did. And there's nothing you can, can say to that because individuals in the Trump administration behind the scenes were also acknowledging that. So mm -hmm. that that's important just for laying the groundwork of what happened. Um, that you had point one, Phil. I know you had point two. <laughs> no, I mean that was the two points were both the the accuracy of the the media and the fact that at, taken as a whole, if you didn't take this in little snippets over yeah. a two year period, taken as a whole, this has a has a, um, a a pretty different feel. I the other reason why I think it's good. I mean, we debated a few weeks ago about how whether it was necessary for this report to be released publicly or not, and I don't know how many people will actually sit down and and read this. I, I remember when the Star report came out, and it was like a huge deal, and every you know people were buying copies and reading it. I don't know. I don't have a sense yet if that's how people are uh, approaching the Mueller report or not. But I, I feel like this because of the state of not the print media side of it, but the talking head media side of right. it, because of the approach that uh, the Trump administration is taking, there is this, uh, like, there's this refusal to agree even on basic facts. So mm -hmm. this report is very clear that Russia, so let's take partisanship out of it, right? It's not, whether you like Donald Trump or not, one of the important takeaways is that the Russians are you know, screwing with us, right. right? They have, they are intending to mess with us. And that is, I think of all the stuff in the report, one thing that, that Mueller is very clear on, mm -hmm. but even today, what today, yesterday, you know, Jared Kushner is dismissing all of it as, you know, a couple of Facebook ads, right? That I don't know if you saw that. Yes. He was saying the Mueller investigation is more damaging to American democracy than a couple of Facebook ads. Um, so, you know, the Trump administration is, is for their own purposes going to, and that's one of the stories that's come out is that Trump has, in, have, I don't know if you saw this as well. Maybe you sent it to me, Bill, that, um, uh, that Trump is, you know, not allowing 
his, the, the people around him, his staffers, to talk about Russian interference because he thinks it will, uh, you know, sort of undermine the story of his of his election yeah. or his success or whatever. Um, but they, you know, for whatever reasons, they're arguing that they're trying to downplay Russian interference. Um, other people, you know, one of the things that Mueller we talked about it being even-handed. They talk about how. Uh, the Trump administration, the changing of the Republican Party platform on Ukraine was not the sort of conspiracy theory yeah. explanation that had been out there. We've got all these stories on all these different sides, and it's really important to have just this kind of factual accounting. And I hope people do go read it just for that reason, so that we can, you know, we have something to go back to, which is that here's what happened. Yeah, the cable mm -hmm. news would be talking. You would hope that that would they would be talking about that so it can calm some of this down. But oh, I don't get that sense, Nick, right? Sweet, sweet summer children. <laughs> Just Because it feels to me that this document should allow us to move forward. And I, I don't get the sense it's going to change anything. No, absolutely not. Yeah. We have Twitter to tell us how to think now. And it's it's insane. Yeah. And realistically, I, I, I obviously what Jared Kushner says is, is, is ridiculous. Uh, it, the campaign that, that Russia put forward during the election is extremely extensive. But that campaign is dependent on people not doing their own research. Mm -hmm. It's completely dependent on that. So again, we are equally as culpable for what happened two, two and a half years ago yeah. at this point. And, and nobody seems to want to take take responsibility for that. I, I, like, I, 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 I agree with you, Phil. The fact that Russia is such a, a prominent figure in this report and in the events that have taken place during the, the life cycle of this administration should be front and center of just about everything at this point. We can debate the the legality of everything else around Trump and the administration and and what they did, but this is again a foreign power making a concerted effort to undermine a fundamental democratic process and nobody is really talking about that. Everybody has their own, you know, spin on it and it's just in snippets and sound bites and little things here and there that get people enraged. And we haven't learned anything. How the fuck did we not learn anything from that? And if you're Russia, if you're Vladimir Putin at this point, there's no reason for you not to continue to do that. Because no, it's fantastic. It, it worked fantastic. You have elements or, you know, Jared Kushner or others saying that it wasn't that big of a deal. So you are, there's a big incentive to continue with those type of tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, Crazy. Let's talk. I, I, we should probably transition to the obstruction of justice stuff, which I think for me is it was such a fascinating read. I mean, like we said, there was there are ten to twelve issues that Mueller looked at, and the way he broke it down is he would overview the issue, he would go through the facts, and then he would itemize each one. So there are three elements that you have to meet for obstruction of justice, and then he would talk about whether those three had met. And and then he would have analysis of all of it. And he would get like 99.99% close to saying it was either obstruction of justice or not. But he didn't do that. And when you read it, it's at least six, I would say, Phil, where they say there is substantial evidence to support an obstruction of yeah. justice charge. He doesn't say that. He walks you there. And when you read the account, it's so damning. I mean, it, you read it and you go, oh, my God. The way in which Trump was manipulating the process, putting pressure on individuals, lying. I mean, there's so much lying. That's what's really stunning. Um, and shocking given that even if, if there was no conspiracy, why was he going to such egregious efforts to obstruct this investigation if he ultimately was innocent of the original crime? It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. But that obstruction of justice section, <laughs> it's the best read of the report. And I think it's hard to walk away from there feeling good about what the president did. 
Nobody feels good about this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, let's, let's just let's put that on the table. We'll set the table with but, that and go from there. Maybe to, to go to Phil's point, yeah, you're right. But the, <laughs> it would bring some clarity to this. Uh, I mean, other, you know, Mitt Romney came out and he, you know, he did what Mitt Romney does and says, I am deeply upset by all of this. But there hasn't been a whole lot of bipartisan reaction to say, you know, I think you're right, Wait. Phil. If you read this without the party labels and you just said, you know, this is what a president did. It would be immediate impeachment. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, there's been, you know, you mentioned you mentioned Mitt Romney. There's there's largely been, it, it seems like silence from Republicans, um, from elected Republicans, which I I don't know if I'm encouraged by. I was about to say that I'm encouraged by that, um, because they're not they're not just taking the Trump administration line. Uh, so silence is is better than like you know falling in line, but it's not as good as you know speaking out about why this is is bad. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, so Trump's numbers. I saw his approval rating fell like five points or something after wow. the release of this. So the idea That's that a big, it, big it dip. wouldn't it is a big dip. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you were you <laughs> you were joking about nobody thinks that it's good but i i think that there are people it's it, they're not like us which is why it seems weird uh but i think there are people who think it's good if you buy in if we're talking about the talking heads and all of the partisanship and whatnot if you buy into the story that Mueller is a deep state investigation and that they should be investigated um then then yeah you know trump's willingness to like harass and to stop the in investigation is on the side of justice as opposed to Mm -hmm. uh, to being against justice. And so, uh, but those are the people who aren't going to be convinced, right? right? <laughs> no, right. those people are on the, it, just like there are people on the other side that no matter what the Mueller investigation said, wouldn't have been swayed. Right. But, yeah. but I think there's a, there is a chunk of America that, that can be swayed by it. Um, I think what's interesting, you know, you're talking about the, the, the lying, the obstruction and, and, uh, you know, the extent to which it is also made apparent in that part of the report that, things would have been way worse if people listened to the president. Yes. Like, that, that yes. he actually, the number of times he ordered people to do stuff that would have been clear obstruction of justice, <laughs> but people just either ignored him or didn't do it or didn't do it the way he wanted or, like, dragged their feet is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and yeah. Remarkable in the sense of, both from the sense that it, it potentially saves Trump from some stuff, but also... The idea that a president, that the people around the president just don't listen to him. Yeah. Yes. It's also in and of itself remarkable. The, <laughs> the report found, and I'll read, this is a quote from the report. Mm -hmm. The president's effort to influence the investigation were mostly unsuccessful, but that is largely because the persons who surrounded the president declined to carry out orders or accede to his requests. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. So you have Trump giving orders that clearly would be major obstruction of justice and Don McGahn and uh, Katie McFarland and others uh, Reince Priebus saying, "Or Lewandowski, right? Or Lewandowski, yes. Yeah, it looks comes out looking okay, right? Yeah. Saying we're not going to do this, or they don't tell the president they're not going to do this. Right. They say, okay, okay, and yeah. then they don't. They slow play right. they something again that we knew about months ago that was <laughs> yes. reported on and that we talked about. It's I just." insane. Corey, the, the story of Corey Lewandowski is really fascinating because Trump wanted to get rid of Sessions or wanted Sessions to basically take control of the Mueller investigation or be gone. And he tells Lewandowski, who's no longer 
in the administration to go have a conversation with the attorney general and tell him that he's got to do this or he's fired. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's it's stunning, and it it reveals that Trump knew what he was doing was was wrong because he didn't go to Don McGahn. He didn't go to Reince Priebus. That would be the normal channel. He goes to some dude that he's buddies with and says, go tell the attorney general, do this or I'm going to fire you. But do you think that he knew it was wrong or do you think that's just how he operates and how he, that's how he's yeah. always operated? Because the more that you read about this stuff, the more you read the report and, excuse me, the major elements of it, it keeps coming off like, he thinks he's running his business still. He has a way of doing that. Like and he has, no, yeah. he has no idea how the levers of the executive branch actually work. I, like, as, as much as you want to say, like, he was being manipulative and, and just a snake about all this stuff, I just don't think he had any idea that some of these these regulations and 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 points of contention even existed and he just was going to do things his way because people were being disloyal to him in an effort that he was running i I think there's some absolute truth to that the one thing though i think over time trump learned because early on you're right sure after because Priebus, the you know what you see in the document what do you mean i can't do that (laughs) right Priebus is telling him there's certain things he can't do don mcgann is telling him he can't do certain things and then once that happens that's why he goes to lewandowski because he knows these people are going to say no and maybe he's like well this is just me solving the problem but nevertheless i think he's I, I was struck in the report that he is aware of the problems with some of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And that's revealing, right? If, if if he's just an idiot, in some ways that's easier. But he, after a while, he learned what he was supposed to do and not supposed to do. And he still did what he wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. So, I mean, that could still, it's being him being a stubborn piece of shit. Too, absolutely right. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Val. I still think, you know, like what you were saying, Nick, I, I think that a lot of Trump's behavior can be interpreted as... A man who has spent 70 years of his life being essentially unaccountable, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, he's he's faced no consequences for his action for his entire <laughs> life, right? He bankrupts businesses and somebody comes along and bails him out. He's, you know, the, the New York Times, was it, New, it was New York Times. The, the massive report on the, the tax evasion mm. <laughs> regarding his, his inheritance and whatnot. <clears throat> Nothing. Like, yeah. so the... the I, it's, I think it's not that he doesn't know that the rules exist. It's that the rules have never applied to him in sure. his life. And so the idea that now suddenly people are telling him the rules apply to him, I think he, you know, he thinks, no, they don't. <laughs> nobody, right. nobody. No. I think his logic or the way he thinks is nobody obeys the rules, right? The rules are for suckers because in his life experience, that has been the case, right? He doesn't obey the rules. People around him don't obey the rules. And so, you know, he draws out that nobody else does either no he's the goddamn president if anybody if there should not if there's a person where the rules shouldn't apply mm-hmm. it should be the it should be the president <laughs> yes. and he is persistent too that's the other thing you see in the in the document is that he'll throw something out and some of the press said that he'll throw something out and forget but he he sticks with it like i want to do this then nobody does it he at well, let's do this right he, he pushed both sessions he pushed Priebus, mcgann all of these guys constantly to the point where mcgann wants to resign mm-hmm. because uh, trump tells him to fire uh Mueller and mcgann's not going to do it and he's going to resign i mean he, trump continues to push those levers he was pushing there was just a story today in the new york times that he was pushing sessions to start investigations of hillary clinton not like suggesting it basically telling him uh and it's such an interesting role not for just the to- not just to launch investigations, but to indict her. Right, exactly, right. right. Like he wanted yes. her charged with crimes. Yeah. Oh, man, I'd love to see that report. It is a, it is a rogue 
president who is just pursuing his whims. And it, it begs this question of what's the difference between that and, and these, you know, autocracies or Russian, you know, systems where the president punishes his opponents. And we're, we're not there, but boy, it sure feels like <clears throat> Don McGahn, Reince Priebus, and a handful of other individuals prevented us from drifting in that direction. And now they're all gone, Nick. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what the difference is? A 448-page, yes. two-year, you know, long report. Mm-hmm. And then a country in fucking, you know, political flames, for yeah. lack of a better term. Which realistically, to me, means that the institutions are still pretty pretty sound. And people are not going to let that happen. That's, that's right. Especially, no, I think you're right. The report shows that. I'm a little worried about the executive branch because those individuals who pushed back against Trump have slowly been removed. So I don't think there's as many checks in the presidency anymore. You're right. But they're still there. Right. But now we're, we're keenly aware of everything that he's been undertaking, as well as the ways that he's tried to circumvent, um, again, the, the regulations that go along with pretty much his entire job. Yeah. Um, I think he's running out of options at this point. It seems like he's, as much as he's done it over the past two years, he seems to be appealing more and more and more to his base specifically as opposed to any sort of reasonable method of of thinking, Um, which seems like somebody who's lashing out who has no more options left. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're I fine. You were... Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's what we're going to see, right? Like, I, he's he's been a little unhinged in the last few days. <laughs> I, I think as, you know, as his options run out, the, he's going to do more of this stuff, yeah. right? He's going to get more drastic in the approaches he takes. And in the question... I, 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 I am hopeful that this all shows that the system still works, but I'm kind of waiting to see. Like, at this point, it still feels a little bit like... We have all these checks on the presidency, but they're still largely up to this point uh, dependent on the person in the presidency being willing to abide by those checks. Right. And the people around him. I mean, think about all of the interim people that we have there. We have uh, an acting chief of staff. We have an acting uh, uh, defense uh, Department of Defense leader, Secretary of Defense, uh, Homeland, Security. Homeland Security, all those people, uh, you know, the, uh, Stephen Miller is is not going to be a constraint on Trump anymore. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder whether those internal checks are going to be there anymore. So he, we could see more lashing out and more extreme things. Yeah. I, I mean, again, this realistically needs to go back to to Congress. Regardless, the, the narrative should be realistically we don't agree on what should be done you know some of us don't think he should be impeached some of us do regardless we know that there needs to be some sort of change in the way that the executive branch operates so it's our responsibility to plug those holes and regard if even if trump vetoes that if there's a bipartisan effort to put additional checks on the power of the president which has been increasingly growing for the past i don't know 50 years at this point I think that's that's a win, but they're they're just not going to do that, and I, I it just baffles me. That's a perfect transition to speed round, yes. Nick. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it is. But before we go, yeah, I want to talk about something. I'm going to sure. shut down your transition. Here's my here's my here's, here's my such new a concern coming one. out of this. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and one of the questions I guess we could talk about is whether or not you think Trump ever faces charges. 
Um, because one of the fascinating things that comes in the report is the, you know, in the footnotes and whatnot, statements that decisions on impeachment have no bearing on like further criminal prosecution once the president leaves office. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anything will necessarily come of this in terms of criminal prosecution. But one of the things that is apparent is that Mueller re- referred all sorts of stuff elsewhere. So there are criminal investigations into his finances, into his, you know, the Trump organization, into, you know, the campaign finance stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's still going forward. And um, I think, you know, when he's out of office, which, by the way, have you seen that Trump has started talking about staying in office for maybe 10, 12 years? Like he maybe won't leave after eight. Awesome. He was that should be. He was he was joking, Phil. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if Barack Obama joked about staying yeah. for a third term. Oh, well, that's happened. unacceptable. Or George Bush had joked about staying for a third term. Especially if like Obama was in that tan suit. If he was talking about staying in the tan suit, it would have been all over. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I think there's the real chance that criminal charges come from this, from a prosecutor somewhere else, right, from the Southern District of New York mm. or whatever. And the thing that terrifies me at this point is that it has all been so polarized and so draped in this partisanship that there's a choice at that point of either this person has violated laws and we, for political reasons, don't uh, indict them. Or they do, and then that just further feeds this, uh, you know, this idea that it's a conspiracy that people are out to get Trump. I, I just I worry about even like six years from now what happens with some of these investigations and what that does to our political process at that point. I, I think there's there's so many investigations out here. I don't know. My guess is that nothing will come from the Mueller report because let's say a Republican wins the presidency, they're not going to pursue charges against Trump. If a Democrat wins the presidency, that attorney general is not going to want to carry out what will be perceived to be as partisan. Mm-hmm. But I do think you're right, Phil, that something out of the Southern District of New York or some of the other other issues, those could pop up as legitimate investigations. Oh yeah, uh, the finance stuff. Yeah, they're they're frothing at the mouth to yeah. get the chance to do that. So. Yeah going to be ugly when that happens exactly that in some ways i think trump might bring that on because it gives him a legitimate fight which is another tr- perfect transition into our talk about impeachment after we talk about beer awesome. so <laughs> phil what are you what are you drinking <laughs> uh so tonight i'm drinking uh erastus e-r-a-s-t-u-s it is um a beer by i should have known who this is from shilling beer company so um, I've had a few shilling beers on here, and they are consistently good. They're out of Littleton, New Hampshire. Um, Erastus is their dry hopped Abbey style triple, and I've, I've been doing so many IPAs lately. I've done a few stouts and whatnot. Um, this is a nice change of pace. I mean, it's it's pretty strong. It's like nine percent alcohol. Um, it's got, you know, I don't know enough about the the nuance of different types of beers. My first impression was before we came on the air as I poured it into the cup. Uh, it looks great, and then all the junk at the bottom <laughs> falls out. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, but junk. it's re- <laughs> that's the technical term, right? Junk. Yes. Yep. Uh, but it's really good. It's it's got you know it's got a little bit of hoppiness. It's not mm. nothing like you would get with an IPA. It's nice and malty. It's a little. Uh, it's you know it's citrusy, kind of tart. Um, it's. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't even know really how to describe it. It's, um, it's more carbonated than I'm used to on a lot of beers, but not in an unpleasant way. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't, I don't go for Abbey style beers very often, but if they're like this, I would, I would drink them more often. I would, I give it a, a, a really, really good review. That sounds mm-hmm. good. Nick, what are we having? Uh, so first, 
Um, we haven't done many ciders on the podcast. I wanted to bring this one in. Um, we had a Blossom Hard Apple Cider um, from Right Bee Cider, which is, I believe, still the only cider in Chicago proper. Um, cider, cidery, cider producer. Um, yeah, it's um, so it's uh, lemon myrtle and cherry blossom. It's very, very light. It's yes. almost champagne. It's got a little bit of sweetness to it. Super, super carbonated. Super pretty, dry. Too. Super dry. Yeah. Um, it's I, I thought it was really like all their stuff is really good. If you guys have never heard of these guys, they're an awesome younger um, husband and wife team who own this cidery in Chicago. They have um, they, they make their own honey on the roof of the place with bees and all that shit. Um, I think they were they were opening a, a tap room at some point. They're ju- they're just really really good people. I would highly suggest um, seeking them out if you get a chance. But um, beyond that, the I thought the cider is really good. Um, I like the the more um, corporate ones mm-hmm. tend to be really sweet and yes. kind of uh, it's just apple juice, yeah. carbonated apple juice with some sort of liquor in it. Um, this this just felt really good, and it's you know it's not without alcohol. It's like six percent. Um, it, it grew on me. The first you know that was dry, but then as you got about halfway in, it really kind of developed. I really liked it as it warmed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge cider fan, but I did enjoy this. Yeah, it's very um, it's very summery. So can't wait for more warm weather. Um, yes, like I said, definitely check them out if you get a chance. Right, be cider. They're in Chicago. I forgot where specifically. Um, and then we are having a, uh, a lakefront brewery uh, lager, which you said this is new, right? Yeah, it's, I think it's their newer lager. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm honestly not getting. I'm getting more of an Oktoberfest mm-hmm. thing than a than a lager. Um, it's, it's got a very kind of caramely maltness to yeah. it. Um, really no head, fairly carbonated. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of there for me. See, I you know I I like what the loggers are doing now. It used to be that the loggers were there was nothing to them, and mm-hmm. these are more, you're right that there's more to this. It's it it is kind of it feels like a hybrid. Um, I enjoyed this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not bad by any means. It is just, it is not a lawn mowing beer, right? It's not you know some of those really light ones you can <laughs> set out. This is one where you're you kind of enjoy it, and yeah, yeah, I'd give it a thumb up. Awesome. Um, if you guys want to find the beers that we have in the podcast, uh, download um, Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there, uh, and you'll find all the um, the reviews for the beers that we try. Speed round. Yes, no more time for that. All right. So it wasn't long after the release of the Mueller report that the question of impeachment took center stage. Nancy Pelosi and other Democratic congressional leadership, uh, they've been urging caution. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer stated, quote, based on what we've seen to date, going forward on impeachment is not worthwhile at this point. Very frankly, there's an election in 18 months and the American people will make uh, judgment, unquote. Others have criticized such a political calculating, suggesting that Congress should not abdicate its constitutional responsibility. Phil, this is a fascinating question. You always do what is right rather than what is politically expedient. So what's your reaction to all this talk about impeachment in the wake of the Mueller report? Go there, Captain America. <laughs> uh, so I have lots of different lots of different ways that I want to that I could take this. So uh, this might have to be a long speed round. <laughs> Uh, so first of all, I find the the logic that the voters will decide in eighteen months or whatever. I find that really disheartening. That that this is questions of of legality or of you know. The, I I just don't like the idea that if enough people are cool with the president, you know, 
murdering somebody or do whatever the you know then then it's okay that's not that's not the way that the you know we shouldn't be voting on legality i say this because i realize even though i realize that in a jury system that's kind of what we do (laughs) but still um the idea of like a national vote on this determining if it's okay that trump did this that just doesn't sit right with me either either you know we there's a discussion about it you decide that what he did is wrong and you should move forward with impeachment or you decide what he did was not wrong and you don't move forward on impeachment but just the booting it down the road and we'll let voters decide is it seems to me the most cowardly of all the approaches so i think as i've thought about this more um I, i i i come around to the idea that the the doing what is politically expedient is dumb um <laughs> i think the whole i mean part of the what americans are upset about is people choose like congress men and women doing what gets them elected as opposed to doing sort of the right thing or the hard thing and and if you're complain i mean you know it, for the democrats to basically respond to this like trump you know part of the criticism is that trump is just doing whatever you know he just responds to whatever people like they're doing the same damn thing if they go down this road in which you know we're going to wait and see what people think of it or it might not help us to get reelected and so we're not going to do it i i think that's i i just i don't think that's right i think in the end um you should do you were elected to be in congress you should enact you should carry out your congressional duties of oversight you should do the hard work. Mm-hmm. Start an investigation. You know, you don't have to decide right this moment whether you vote to impeach, but you begin the impeachment process, which is to have hearings, call people, start doing investigations, move forward, and be ready to um, impeach or not, depending on the facts, not on whether or not voters like it or not. Um, I that's, think that's important, right? The impeachment is a process. It's not necessarily an outcome. You, mm-hmm. you, you could begin an impeachment process to see whether the president should be removed. Yep. I think there's been lots of talk about how the Senate will never uh, convict. I don't like that. I don't I mean, I, you know, whether the Senate convicts or not shouldn't have a bearing on whether the House actually begins the proceedings. Um, I just I you know, I, the other part of it, if you want to talk about political expediency, like what's the right thing? Like if you are only concerned with getting reelected. I think doing nothing plays perfectly into Trump's hands, right? Trump has been claiming that he did nothing wrong, that it's a witch hunt. And if the Democrats basically see this giant report and do nothing with it, then there's nothing to counter his argument that I did nothing wrong and this was a witch hunt. And that seems not to work towards their electoral advantage. Mm -hmm. And the other part is that the argument that this would be bad electorally for Democrats is also weird to me. After... Clinton was impeached. Republicans did. There was a dip um, in their House seats for basically one election, but that had that was tied to Newt Gingrich and all sorts of other stuff. And then they won the the presidency the next time around. They took the House after Nixon was impeached. Um, Democrats won the presidency. They took the House. Like the idea that it, launching impeachment would be bad for Democrats' reelection, I don't see the evidence of that. Mm. But again, I will say, I think all of that should be put aside in that here's this evidence you were given about stuff that the president is doing. Based on that, you should decide whether or not you should move forward with impeachment. And I think all the evidence that's there at least justifies beginning that process. Nicholas? Um, 
I mean, made an impassioned case he for did. impeachment. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I I'll, I'll rebut to that. Um, members of Congress are are elected to uh, support their team at this point. They're not there to uphold the Constitution or or their constitutional responsibilities as representatives of the American people. Um, I, in terms of their decision to go down this road, uh, whether you're coming at it from a a principled <clears throat> you know, very constitutionally minded standpoint, or from a standpoint of I'm there to placate my base and to do something that's going to keep me in office, their decision to not do anything with this seems like political suicide to me. I, I like I, I cannot I cannot fathom why they're doing this. I I agree. I, I think that people have extremely short attention spans, and if you let this go for another year and a half or so nobody's going to give a shit at this point. Um, and you're right, it, it gives credence to, uh, or, or not, not even credence, but it gives enough space for the opposing narrative to take hold in people's minds, um, especially if they're going to continuously say the same thing. All you gotta do is say, no collusion, no obstruction, we don't like socialism, and clearly they're not doing anything about it, so I'm we didn't do anything wrong. So, I, I, like, I, I think that's going to backfire in terms of the Democratic base, and it's going to fire up the Republican base. That's interesting. I, I just, I, I really, they're so bad at strategy, it baffles me. And it just seems like this, and we've seen it over and over again. We'll go back to 2016. This thing where they just think they have it in the bag, and people are going to decide, and because they know better, and we're right. No, you got to play the fucking game, and you better play it better than the other side. And right now, regardless of what the decision or or the uh, the results were of this investigation, you're not playing this to your benefit. So I agree. I, I, in terms of impeachment, I don't think he should be impeached. But if you're going to uphold your responsibilities as members of, of Congress, yeah, you should probably at least start subpoenaing people and... and, and trying to figure out a way that doesn't seem like it's a witch hunt, but also that you're doing your due diligence in the position that you're in. And they're not doing any of that. You know, as you were talking, one thing that struck me is it made me think about the 2016 uh, Democratic primary, where it looked early on, it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to, I'm sorry, tw uh, 2008, when it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win and Barack Obama had no had no chance to win. Um, and then over time, the Iraq war got worse and worse, right? I mean, things are getting bad. Um, and suddenly, Barack Obama's vote against the Iraq war was really powerful. And it makes me think of Elizabeth Warren here, because she's the only one early on who said, we should be impeaching. And so the question is, if more and more comes out against Trump, if there's, if the Southern District indicts, if there's more information, suddenly she's the only one who's taking a political stand. This could play well for her. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I, I think about it is, as I read the document, yes, impeachment should happen. I mean, it's hard for me not to read that document to say that the totality of evidence suggests that this individual likely should not be in office and there should be some investigation some hearing and that congress should do its its responsibility or embrace its responsibility to to make those hard decisions they won't you're right nick they're mm -hmm. not going to do it um even if the democrats did vote the republicans would avoid having a meaningful conversation but there should uh obstruction of justice 
is a major crime. It was it was in the articles of impeachment for Bill Clinton. It was also in those for Richard Nixon. I mean, this is this is the executive using and abusing power on those terms. I think that yes, this to me this strikes me. There, the Democrats should do the right thing, even if it's not politically expedient. I, mm-hmm. I I think I still I think that cynically or non cynically. So I, it's one of those where I come back around to if you want to be. If you want to not be cynical and you want to think, what's the right thing to do here? There's been this big investigation. They've he's come basically. I, I think you you can't read the Mueller report without reading it as an impeachment referral. I mean, that's essentially what he even says. This is up for Congress to right. decide. I think that on you know seven of these twelve cases, you know, issues of obstruction, the president is essentially guilty. But it's not my place to indict. It's up to Congress. Right. That's what he's doing. I mean, he even cites in the yeah. footnotes the impeachment power of Congress. Right? It's it's not all that subtle. So I think um, if you're not cynical and you just want what's best for, like you want the American system to work properly, the right step forward is to start the process, right? Have investigations, have hearings, move in that direction. On the other hand, if you want to be cynical, if you're just in it to get reelected, I think nothing will be better for the Democrats than to have a long drawn out process where you control the narrative, where all Mm -hmm. like the news is constantly about, you know, uh, um, testimony before Congress about these issues, Trump's going to lose his mind if they move forward on that, right? The stuff that is making him look like, un, you know, maybe he's not fit for the presidency will only get worse if you're moving towards impeachment. So from a non-cynical perspective, I think it's the right thing to do. From a, not, I'm not saying that it mm-hmm. should end in any particular way, but they should move in that direction. From a cynical perspective, just getting reelected, I think it's the right thing to do. I, I think Elizabeth Warren is, I, you know, I, again, I she's been accused of being, you know, she's just do, doing this to move herself up in the polls. But I, I, her approach, I actually kind of, I really like her approach is essentially we should do this. It's our constitutional duty. But then she turns around and goes right back to policy proposals, right? Mm-hmm. Democrats can do both, right? To say we should do this. Also, here are all the policy issues that we think are important. This is a good one, Nick. Yeah, I agree. We should absolutely get rid of all student debt ever. <laughs> That's a good policy standpoint. Very sound. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it appears that Sarah Huckabee Sanders lied to us, Nick. She lied to us. Oh, poor Sarah. Shocking. I know. <laughs> in fact, there was a lot of lying going on in the Trump administration. The Mueller report details at least seven instances in which the Trump in which Trump press secretaries lied to the public. One lie in particular is getting lots of attention. It came immediately after Trump fired FBI Director James Comey. During a press conference, Sanders said that, quote, countless members of the FBI had contacted her to say they had lost confidence in Comey. She reiterated this a number of times over the next few days. Well, when interviewed uh, under oath by the special counsel, her story suddenly changed. She told the special counsel team that her comments were actually a, quote, slip of the tongue that was not based on anything. In other words, she acknowledged pushing a falsehood to Mueller's team, but so that it was just an accident. Phil, you and Sarah spent time at Bible camp together back in the late 1980s. Um, what's, what's your take on, on this? She was his accountability buddy. <laughs> I mean, so there's nothing shocking about the idea that the press secretary is lying. I mean, this is, I, I, I mean, I guess, what's my take, I guess, is this to go back to the previous point we were talking about impeachment. Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has a line when she's the press secretary, which is that, uh, you know, the, the FBI is up in arms about this. 
the instant that Mueller comes in and not telling the truth becomes a crime because you're you're essentially under oath like that she's basically saying i made all that shit up mm -hmm. right as soon as that's done this week as people have called her on this she's immediately back to nope i didn't make it up it was a slip of the you're 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 parsing my words it was the fact that the thing that i it was the countless part was the part that i didn't have support for she's this lying is about the lie brilliant. right right <laughs> which is why it, i mean that shows you the power of uh, of perjury, right? <laughs> of the, like that when when people are facing legal consequences if they don't tell the truth, their story changes. So if we go back to why is the impeachment process, or it, even if you take impeachment off it, why is it? Why are in congressional investigations important? It's for this reason because if you tell me to, you know, you ask me a question and I, you know. There's one thing to lie, and I might face some social consequence. There's another thing. If I lie, I go to prison. And I, and I think that this is sort of an example of that and why it would be smart to move forward on that. Nothing shocking about her doing this, no. right? I, why people continue to put her on news shows is, is remarkable to me. Nick, she lied to us. Yeah, but she did it. She did it very well. <laughs> She's so good at it. It's good. And that's the thing. Too like, good. Yeah, but I, I mean, that's... That's the thing about about all of this. Like she did it in, regardless of what the the personal consequences were to her, um, she did it in the widest possible venue that she could, as often as she could. And realistically, if we're talking about this particular thing, you know, the truth, quote unquote, when she had to talk about that to save herself, and not even to save herself, just you know, to you know, not have any legal consequences. She said what actually happened and then went right back to what she was saying. And that's the more powerful narrative and the one that everyone is going to not rally behind, but but remember, I, I think that as much as the truth may have come out in this particular instance, that's not going to be the story that especially people in the Republican base are going to care about. They've already made up their minds about this. Realistically, yeah. we can talk about members of the FBI, James Comey is a fucking weirdo. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, I, I think that the the narrative that she put out there was done well enough and done often enough to cement that as fact for a lot of people. Or oh, a more, a yes. more, um, a more, what's the word? Um, uh, understandable, uh, easily accessible fact for a lot of people. This is a flash in the pan. This this will be forgotten. I think. We, you know, we historically, I don't think any press secretary is is expected to be perfectly honest. We've talked a lot about the difference between spin, spin, spin. It's right, dishonesty. It's spin, right. right. You're spinning things, and that's what we've seen out of the previous press secretaries. Is spin. It feels like this is one episode where it's clear she's outright lying. And to me, integrity has to matter to some degree. And I, I know we've drifted away from that, but. If this is the representative who's supposed to come out and share with the press, I mean, if I'm the press at this point, if she ever holds another press conference, I don't show up for it because I don't think she likes holding them anyway. No, so. she doesn't. But that's that's another. That's how far we've been removed from normal political process. Uh, you know, Democrat and Republican. The Trump administration is such an aberration. I mean, I, I, I'm glad. 
for the Mueller report just for this, just to expose her for the liar she is. And I'll give you, you're right, Nick, she's very, very good at it. And I remember when she first made that statement, I thought, oh my, it's possible that there are people, I believed that. Right. She was lying to me, Nick, right? And that's, (laughs) it's just, it's despicable. And, you know, there's the legality and there's morality and ethics and all of that. And there's so many of these individuals are just just terrible. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is terrible. She's terrible at her job. Not terrible. She's good at her job, but that's it's awful. I just don't know why you why anyone would trust any press secretary at this point. There, it's there's just no there's no point. But there's a difference between the way in which previous administrations tried to spin the news versus You're like right. this is not grounded in anything. I mean, she's just making stuff up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this this one this one really upset me, Nick. <laughs> Oh, your crush lied to you. It's very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Phil went to Bible camp with her. All right. (laughs) So let's move on to the Attorney General. So the role of the Attorney General, uh, Bill Barr, has become an issue of debate surrounding the Mueller investigation. Many have argued that the special counsel's 400-page report stands in stark contrast to Barr's summary of it in both his letter to Congress one month ago and his press conference before the report's release last Thursday. The most notable, uh, this is the most notable on the subject of obstruction of justice. Despite the fact that both Barr and Mueller drew from the same evidence, they appear to have reached entirely different legal conclusions. In his letter, Barr argues that, quote, evidence developed by the special counsel is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense, unquote. But Robert Mueller actually argues the inverse, quote, the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining that no criminal conduct occurred, unquote. Barr's justification for clearing Trump for obstruction of justice appears surprisingly deferential to Trump. Uh, from a man who is widely regarded as a legal heavyweight, uh, Phil, how do how, what should we make of Barr's performance? This was this was really really stunning. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to sort through what I think of this. I mean, I, I think the the one takeaway is that I think Bill Barr had a long, I think a pretty well established reputation as a serious Washington. You know, that people took him seriously, even if they were on the opposite side of the aisle from him. And it feels like he threw all that away yeah. with the way he handled this, um, I, which is a little strange to me. Um, the the I mean, he basically became a spokesperson for the you know the 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 the, the way he characterized the the Mueller report is not you know it is true in fact. Right. That but not in spirit. So it's like very narrowly technically true that Mueller, you know, didn't basically found no conspiracy true um, by a very, very narrow definition of conspiracy. And that uh, that. Well, I mean, the obstruction the of justice part is maybe not. Yeah, I was going to say that's true. so. Yeah. So what he said. So this is real quick on the obstruction. Barr said, quote, the special counsel, therefore, did not draw a conclusion one way or the other as to whether the examined conduct constituted obstruction. Right. That's not what Mueller did. Right. I mean, I mean, I don't I think did. that's he what he did. Oh. He left it to Congress. <laughs> right. So I think in a, in like the narrowest, narrowest yeah. sense, he's not lying. Oh, he's smart he too, is, Nick. But he is, <laughs> but he is misrepresenting. Yes, he he is playing. Uh, he's he's doing more PR than attorney generaling at this point. Um, and that's the part I'm not quite sure how I feel about. I, I mean, I think he's he's damaged his reputation. 
Um, and that's, you know, for him to decide what to do or not. But the attorney general has long been, you know, at least in, in theory, this, you know, law enforcement is kind of apolitical, right? Like I, his job is to be the chief law enforcement officer, not to represent the best interests of the president. And, and the way he did it, especially with the press conference before the release to sort of try to frame it, it just felt more press secretary than attorney general. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean, I think he's, you know, I, again, I, I don't know why he would choose to do this. Somebody who has, he, he's not a Trumpian in the classic sense. Um, for him to sort of get on board this Trump, uh, you know, the, the Trump, train train at this point um <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me now whether or not you know there's been some debate about like uh, there were some people who like serious people not not wackos who were saying that if anybody should be impeached it should be bill barr for the way he handled this i, I you know mm -hmm. to the extent to which he should be independent versus you know versus acting on behalf of the president um i think there's real we should be concerned about whether you know the attorney general should be independent but he also does work for the president so i right. I, I don't really yeah. know exactly how i feel about that i do feel like he, he doesn't you know he he was he was not pre presenting this sort of straightforward legal explanation of things he was presenting a trump favorable explanation of things mm -hmm. well i, I mean it, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there realistically he is a political appointee if we don't want this shit to happen especially in this era that we live in maybe these people shouldn't be political appointees i don't know what the alternative would be but i i, I i'm not that's just kind of what happens now and and realistically i think it always has kind of happened and i while i think that there is there's a very selective way that he went about his choice of words and and what he presented like we said he didn't necessarily it wasn't wrong it was just a version of the truth <laughs> it was incomplete <laughs> it was yeah it just i i think he he walked a very he walked a very fine line that you know you, you can rebuke him however you want and i think that he's somewhat deserving of that but in the strictest legal sense of of yeah. what he is what he was obligated to do realistically he didn't have to release any part of the report he didn't have to do sure. anything so i i mean there you know we could still be debating about his his three-page summary to congress at this it, point it's it right. is an example of how much we rely on essentially good faith in, yes. in the you know that you're you're right he hasn't done anything like technically wrong we just have had this long-standing faith that the attorney general is independent right and, but if we value it then we should make like we should formalize it instead right. of just relying on the good intentions of people exactly well, and it's somewhat surprising because i really felt like he was going to come in and be a straight shooter and it wasn't that he was he's not sean spicer or sarah huckabee sanders where it's full spin but this felt like he, he would there was certainly some perspective to this and the one other thing i mean he's a smart guy he knows the difference between conspiracy and collusion <laughs> stop laughing nick <laughs> 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 so, okay. Go ahead, Bill. You know, it's oh, no. <laughs> I'm so I sent I sent these two guys oh. a, a, a a gif of a clown that was hiding behind oh, Phil as we were God. laughing at right now. <laughs> 
Okay, so, oh, it's so back hot. to collusion. All right, so so Barr is smart enough to know the difference between conspiracy and collusion. But in his press conference, he said there was no collusion, no evidence of collusion, no underlying collusion. Um, there was no evidence of Trump campaigning colluding with the Russians. So I mean, he knows that this this was not the crime. Conspiracy was the crime. So in his press conference, he relied on that term. And it Spinning. felt to me that this was disingenuous. You know better. You're playing to the to the media, to the public for whatever reason. And it may not be because he's he's on the Trump train, but it's still it's still problematic. Well, I mean, this is so we talked about the difference between spin and lie, outright yeah. lies, right? This is spin. Right? Yeah. The, the mm -hmm. weird thing is that this is normally the role of the press secretary, yes. and the attorney general does neither. <laughs> right. And so now the attorney general is spinning, and the press secretary is outright lying, <laughs> and it, that's where. And and when you throw in that Bill Barr, I, somebody was pointing out that he. Uh, you know, when when the um, Star Report came out, he was it. I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't I don't want to say this definitively, but I feel like he had comments about the way that Janet Reno handled that as well. So had been sort of critical mm. of attorney generals sort of taking a, a, a spin on on things in the past or involvement. And so, yeah, it's just it, yeah. Somebody talks about how anybody, you know, everyone who gets near Trump is essentially corrupted and and this is sort of an example of it somebody that you feel like you know by the old school sort of washington politics was a a consistent conservative right but to to see him sort of go down this road is yeah anyway yeah all right <laughs> final, final topic let's move on <laughs> all right we're gonna finish on uh, something slightly different so the Mueller report isn't the only showdown in washington as hostilities over house investigations of the president are now veering toward federal court amid scathing rhetoric from both sides house democrats threatened on tuesday to hold in contempt a trump official who oversaw security clearances after the white house instructed him not to cooperate with congress Later in the day, the Trump administration refused to turn over six years' worth of President Trump's personal and business tax returns by a 5 p.m. deadline. And later Tuesday, Trump said he was opposing, opposed to his current and former aides, most notably former White House counsel Don McGahn, testifying on Capitol Hill. Uh, escalating the showdown even further. Uh, those moves came a day after Trump took the dramatic step of suing the chairman of the House Oversight and Reform Committee to block a subpoena for his financial records. Phil, you're the most, most litigious <laughs> guy I know. You sue all sorts of people. Uh, what, what, this is this is heating up. What's your reaction? That's slanderous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, I mean, so my reaction is essentially this is back to uh, where... <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, this is open and shut, straightforward stuff, right? Mm -hmm. This is when this is separation of powers. Um, the Congress, when the con when Congress subpoenas someone, you don't have a right to just say no, right. screw you, right? That's not <laughs> how it works. Um, when when uh, the, Trump can't sue Congress <laughs> over <laughs> a subpoena they issue, that is classic separation of powers. This is a constitutional, you know, oversight power that Congress has. So all of this is, um, I mean, I think it fits into this larger story, which is that as Congress pushes, Trump's going to lose his mind, right? And that's what's happening. Um, in, in ways that are that show that he doesn't understand again another issue we talked about today he talked about in one of his tweets he talked about how if he gets impeached he's going straight to the Supreme Court <laughs> that's not how it works like that's not how it works um, so <laughs> he doesn't understand the idea here now what is terrifying to me is that it falls on other people who do understand the ideas to hold to uphold these sort of separation of power things 
And I don't know how much confidence I have that that will actually occur. So if Congress is subpoenaing people and Trump refuses to do it, then what you know what happens at that point how do we you know what that's where I, this is the other part we go back to the media presentation and the media presents this as this like showdown it's a political showdown this is a constitutional crisis right if congress is trying to exercise its oversight using subpoena power and the president is refusing to do it um that's that's that is a constitutional crisis at that point point. and then what happens let's say that it goes to the courts and let's say the courts say no congress has the right to do this and Trump or or McNute what was his name Mnuchin Mnuchin at, at, at Treasury says I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean this is that that's a real test of the court. If I mean I'm, I'm sure the system is a whole where if the courts say you've got to do this and the president or one of his staff says we're not. But I, I mean it shouldn't even get to that point. Like this is this is again the strength of a, a particular you know a, a, a branch of of government. You're you're right. Like if they if the administration says no. Congress should respond and say, fuck yeah, yeah. this is this it's is our job, job. Right? this is yes. our responsibility, so comply with this or there, or there are going to be severe consequences. And as far as I know, there have not been any consequences to any of this so mm-hmm. far. So do your fucking jobs and we won't have to go down that road. It's it, amazing it seems... how good he is at not doing things, right? I mean, he's, uh, Trump is pretty effective at this. About uh, not doing yes, things? Yes, right. I, I think it's more amazing that Congress is that effective at not doing things. <laughs> yes. This all, Everything that we've talked about, not only this episode, but most of the things that we've talked about over the past six months to a year is the fact that Congress won't act on anything. And all of these things, whether you're talking about executive privilege or, or um, you know, constitutional stability, this isn't a constitutional crisis because you're not upholding your part of, of, of upholding the Constitution. So until it gets to that point and Congress is exercising this and there's either a coup or we go to the courts to try and figure this out, this isn't a crisis. These are just jackasses who aren't doing their jobs. So that's the crisis, in, in my opinion. And, and the fact that the branch of government that we are supposed to be closest to, that is supposed to be the strongest lever that we have in this system, isn't doing shit. Whether we're talking about our 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 um, constituent concerns or their their actual just regulatory duties, their everyday duties, that's a severe problem. That's the crisis. Even if what the Congress is doing is political and partisan, right? I mean, that's the thing we've seen in past eras where the Congress has done things for partisan reasons, whoever's in power. And the president doesn't want to do that. But if the Congress has that power, the presidency respects that. Right. And I'm not I'm, I'm just not clear what's going to happen now. Will Trump respect that or will individuals around him respect that enough to say, hey, there, there's a real balance of power here and we have to respect the courts. We have to respect the Congress's legitimate power. And I'm not certain that the executive branch and Trump in particular will do that. And, and this is precedent setting, right? Like what yes. happens here will shape how future presidents and how future Congresses act. I think the part that is, I, I agree with you, um, Nick, on the idea that Congress should do its job. I think what concerns me is that in these cases that we just listed, listed are a handful of examples in which they are actually like there aren't many places in which Congress is actively and aggressively playing its oversight role, but there are a handful and and the Trump administration in those handful of cases is saying, no, we're not cooperating. Right. Um, and so that's where I, that, you know, again, I don't know. I, 
the, you know, when you get to these situations, they become a little unprecedented. So yeah. what happens and does it go to the Supreme Court? And that becomes a separation of powers issue and whether the Supreme Court would rule on it. And there's just so much of yeah. our system that relies on a good faith. And that terrifies me yes. when you have bad faith actors. Right. Yep. That's a good way to wrap up. Oh, oh Nick, the, we got we got a lot done today. Oh, yeah, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, God, I feel like we've been away for forever. Well, we we had a normal episode last week. We, we just did. taped it early. I know. Yeah. But it, just, it was a good one, too. It was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, on that note, if uh, you guys like the podcast, questions, comments, anything like that, follow us on Twitter at Barstow Paul, P-O-L, uh, Facebook at Barstow Politics, uh, beers that we try you can find on untapped on ios or android uh the podcast um spotify itunes soundcloud uh stitcher google play music uh review us share us like us through there uh and then predict it uh like i said at the beginning of the podcast uh, we are partnered with predict it which is a uh, real money political prediction market where you can buy and sell shares uh, in future political events. Um, Barstool Politics listeners uh, who use our promo link uh, when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. Um, so, for example, open a $20 account uh, and you'll receive um, our predictable match to $20, uh, giving you $40 to use. Just use the promo link predicted.org slash promo slash BarstoolPol20 uh, and check it out. Like I said, a lot of fun, super informative, um, lots of fun, again. Yes. Twice, <laughs> twice the fun. Um, anything else, guys? No, it's just fun. Cool. It was watch, fun. Watch out for that murderous clown, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Shut up and sit down.